0: Welcome to Leonard Lopate at Large You're on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Leonard Lopate. When Dr. Herman Ponser, a professor of evolutionary anthropology at the Duke Global Health Institute, conducted pioneering research with the Hadza, a tribe of hunter-gatherers in northern Tanzania, he found something quite surprising, that although the tribe's people move frequently, hunting, digging, dragging, carrying, and cooking, they burned about the same number of total calories a day as much more sedentary Westerners. In Burn, his new book, based on years of field and lab research, he outlines the the broad workings of human metabolism by examining people across different culture with vastly different lifestyles. The book is published by Avery, and I'm very pleased that it brings Dr. Poncer to our show now, hello. Hi, how you doing? I'm okay. Uh, Can't this kind of research be scarily dangerous? You begin your book with a story of being awakened in your tent at two in the morning by the roars of lions that were just a few hundred (laughs) yards off.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, part of the fun of the work I get to do uh, studying, you know, human physiology and and metabolism and kind of trying to explore the uh, our evolutionary past through, you know, studying modern people today. Um, is it gets you get to travel all around the world. So I've gotten to, to travel to archaeological sites in Georgia and, you know, all across Africa to look at wild chimps and uh, to work with uh, the Hadza, as you say. And, you know, it's, it's always an adventure, um, and it's a lot of fun.
0: Well, that, it was a scary experience for you, but significant in a different way for members of the Hadza tribe. Uh, wasn't it a signal that food might be awaiting them?
1: Well, that's right. So, you know, if you or I... Um, wake up in the middle of the night to to a lion chorus. Um, I, my first thought was not on breakfast. I'll tell you that, um, to avoid being breakfast, but, um, I, you know, I thought, well, gosh, I, I, (laughs) I I hope they don't come over this way. Of course, you know, you're out in the middle of the Savannah. It's not a game park or something like that. There's nothing between you and the lions. Um, but the Hadza folks that we were with, you know, they're, um, they're just so, uh, they're so sanguine about the whole thing that there's there's they're tough you know mentally tough and opportunistic and clever and they heard those lion choruses and they said aha i bet if we go over there um we can push a bunch of lions off of a freshly killed kudu which i you know wouldn't even occur to me but uh <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, an a, that's antelope. what they did and uh, successfully so
0: uh, a kudu being an antelope
1: yeah, that's right. Sorry. It's a, it's a big antelope. It's a, it's a one of the larger ones, you know, 150 pounds or so. Are the
0: Hadza living lives that were the norm worldwide for yeah, over a million years? Yeah, that's
1: right. Uh, so, you know, humans, uh, so our, we're Homo sapiens, right? So uh, and our genus, the genus Homo, that uh, demarcates all of the species that are, you know, within our sort of group, our group that, uh, of Homo. Uh, the genus Homo gets going in the fossil record about two, two and a half million years ago. And we can see along with those fossils, um, with that have a little bit bigger brains, teeth shapes a little bit different. They look like us more than they look like earlier species. Um, sort of those telltale anatomical signs that they're in our group. Those go along with these telltale archaeological signs like stone tools and cut marks on bones that these populations were hunting. And we, we know that they were gathering too, but the hunting is, is the sort of uh, the, the new thing that they add to the repertoire and um and that hunting and gathering strategy is incredibly successful and just sort of takes off and it is the norm for two and a half million years of 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 our evolution it's it's what literally shaped our body is that lifestyle and so um you know if we go not into the too distant past all humans are hunting and gathering um and then we zoom forward to the present day uh there are only a handful of, of populations that still kind of hold on to those old ways of course we're all we're all, we're all equally modern humans that are alive today, um, but some, some cultures hold on to those old hunting and gathering traditions and kind of give us a sneak peek into uh, what that life was like.
0: A few in Africa and in South America, mostly in the Amazon, uh, I imagine. Uh, you write that the Hadza people, quote, don't develop obesity and metabolic disease for the simple reason that their food environment doesn't drive them to overconsume. So if it's a healthy way to live, why did most homo sapiens switch to farming around 12,000 years ago?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'll say this, the farming populations that we've worked with, so we've worked with uh, sort of subsistence farmers in South America, and, and uh, we have new projects happening in Africa with other groups too. You know, s- farming at that kind of subsistence scale uh, doesn't seem to be to push people to be uh, obese or, or develop cardiometabolic disease either. Um, it really is the kind of new industrialized food systems that we all are adopting increasingly um, that really seem to make us sick. So people like to blame farming and um, you know, there's a lot of things that go along with farming that, that have negative consequences for sure. Uh, But actually if you look at those early farming groups, it doesn't seem like they're, they're in trouble. Um, It's the way that we've done farming at kind of a mass scale. And we all subsist now on these, you know, ultra processed foods uh, that are shelf stable and can travel in a, in a semi-trailer or on a, on a train, that, that seems to be what is getting us into trouble today.
0: Well, hunter-gatherers are called opportunistic omnivores because they eat whatever is available, including plants and animals. But can't that be dangerous? Because there are some diseases that are transmitted from one species to another, as, as we yeah. are discovering just now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's probably always been the case. You know, we, we can actually tra- uh, track, for example, um, in a different kind of way. We can track the, the, the progress of malaria across species and other things um, like that. HIV so, AIDS comes HIV, from HIV, the exactly, other primates. Exactly. Yeah. Fan, yeah really not an important example. Um, it can be, you know, but any any animal that eats other animals, is opening itself up to that right because the sort of steamy <laughs> nutrient-rich environment that's inside all of us um is a great way to, to grow bacteria and if those bacteria are clever they'll find a way to, to jump ship um, and so any animal that eats other animals is is opening itself up to that um, i think the kind of factory farming ways that we often produce uh food and and, and uh in this culture are more problematic um, but yeah you're right that that initial leap into hunting as a big part of your diet, that's, that opened the door.
0: You have a chapter headed, what is metabolism anyway, with a section headed demystifying metabolism is yeah. metabolism a mystery. Haven't we
1: known about it for a long, long time? Well, it depends on who you ask. I mean, I think everybody knows, I mean, even people with no formal schooling, uh, certainly the Hadza would know that, you know, you need food, uh, to run, you know, for the, the energy to, to live. Um, so at that scale, I think if, at that level, everybody understands that. Um, but where it gets messed up and misunderstood um, and people take advantage of that misunderstanding is if I were to ask you, Leonard, how do you burn your energy every day? Or what's the relationship between your lifestyle and how many calories you burn every day? Or, or when I say metabolism, what exactly do I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. I think people get stuck on that. And, and it's because, um, you know, we're sort of fed a very, simplistic view of, of how calories get burned and, and what that's all about. So one of the things I try to clear up with this book.
0: Isn't metabolism simply our daily energy expenditure? It is. How does that uh, work? So, so do, does
1: it cover all of the work that our cells do throughout our bodies? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, you've got about 37 trillion cells, give or take. And every one of them is this microscopic little factory that's doing a lot of work every day. And all that work, uh, we can measure, you know, we can measure the, the, the amount of work that's being done by how many calories you consume. Calories are a measure of energy. And just like any, doing any kind of work requires energy, uh, all that cell work that, that our cells do requires energy. But what we have to understand, and I think gets glossed over, um, is that most of what your body does, its work, you know, spent its energy doing is, is not moving around, right? We're aware of going for a run or we're aware of walking up a flight of stairs and how that feels. So we we kind of tend to equate activity with energy, but actually it is true that activity takes energy, but most of the energy you spend every day is on everything else. Things that you never see things like uh, your brain at work and your liver at work and your immune system at work. That's actually where well over half your calories get spent every day. In other words, doing
0: a radio show like this and having a conversation, Yeah. So as we we sit
1: here, as we sit here, every third or fourth breath that we take in is the oxygen just to feed our brains. Isn't that crazy? And the um, you know, your brain runs a five k every day, right? It burns about three hundred calories, which is the equivalent of running five kilometers. So you know, just sitting here, we're actually burning an incredible amount of energy, even though you know, if you look at your smartwatch or something like that, right? You're you're not burning any calories at all because you're not moving. You argue that human metabolism hasn't yet
0: adapted to the innovations of the industrial revolution and the modern diet results in overconsumption and, and ailments such as obesity, diabetes, heart disease, and, and cognitive decline. So uh, is the solution just to cut back
1: on our caloric intake? It is, it is. Um, but the trick is, of course, as anybody who's tried to, to do that to lose a, little, a few pounds knows it's incredibly hard to do. Um, and so I think, you know, yes, the overall goal here, if we want to, if you want to cut back on your weight or cut back on how much you're eating, is to focus on the calories. I think, you know, calories have become this much maligned thing, but it really does come down to that. But the question then becomes, how do you do it? How do you reduce how many calories you eat? Um, you know, look, if being hungry will push, you know, people into a pride of lions to get, get, to get a, a freshly killed antelope, um, then being hungry will certainly push us into the refrigerator. Uh, So we need to find a way to feel full on fewer calories. And that's that's where it gets tricky, because we have to figure out what diets work for us personally um, that fill us up on less.
0: Uh, You you write about the mechanics of metabolism on the cellular level. uh, Mm. But how have the metabolic strategies evolved in our species and other primates? How similar are
1: we to apes and and chimpanzees? Mm. And, And what about other mammals? Yeah, that's a really fascinating area of work that I've been involved in the last 10 years or so. Um, when I started doing these measurements of energy expenditure in other species and, you know, I was the, able to, to do some of the very first work of, of measuring energy expenditures in apes, which was really fun. Um, the, we, we didn't know a whole lot about how humans compared to other species or how primates, which is our, you know, our big family, uh, compared to other mammals. And it turns out that there's a a whole fascinating evolutionary story there. So, you know, humans are primates. So we are closely related to apes, of course, but also monkeys and lemurs and lorises. And that primate family, it seems, uh, when we measure calories burned per day and compared to other mammal groups, we see that primates as a group have really slow metabolism. So we, you know, primates burn only half the energy you'd expect every day, half the number of calories you'd expect every day. Um for a mammal of similar size, of course, bigger animals burn more calories than small animals. So you have to correct for size and all this, but correcting for size primates are burning only half the energy every day of other mammals. And that's really amazing to think about how that major shift happened, but it also sheds light on something really important, which is, you know, humans and other apes and monkeys and other primates. We grow up slowly. We reproduce slowly. We age slowly and have long lives. Right. And so that kind of slow pace of life, which we all enjoy, the fact that, you know, we we can hope to live into our 70s or 80s or even 90s, whereas, you know, another kind of mammal like our dogs will only live into their teens if if they're lucky. And dogs Um, mature uh, within a year or so. Yes. Yes, exactly. They can
0: already uh, they can already procreate. We have to. Wait a while. We have to go through junior high school first.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, the protracted agony of middle school, we can also blame on our, <laughs> our metabolism. Um, but the, you know, th- that slow pace of life, you know, we talk about dogs growing up in dog years, living their lives in dog years, like it's an accelerated rate, but actually we're the, we're the weird ones. You know, primates are slow and weird. So our metabolism helped make that possible because the rate at which you burn calories is, is, Related, we think, to the rate at which you kind of grow up and grow old because all of that stuff is work and work is energy. But then the other fun piece of this is if you look within just the apes. So if you look, if you zoom in um, on, on humans, chimpanzees, bonobos, gorillas, orangutans, that's, that's those are the great apes. We're one of them. Within that small group, we humans have actually accelerated our metabol- metabolic rate. Not up to where other mammals are, but compared to other apes we're fast we burn more calories per day and that seems to have been a been the the adaptation that fuels these really big expensive brains we have and the fact that we're able to have you know a human a human mom gonna have kids every couple of years if she wants to um, ape moms can't do that right ape females have three or four or five years between births um, we have we're really physically active so th- th- these things that are sort of um, a major part of, of what it means to be human, right? Uh, big babies, smart brains, active lifestyles. Those are all made possible by the second change that happened in our evolutionary, our, our metabolic evolution, where we kind of turned the dial back up a little bit.
0: My guest today on Leonard Lopate at Large is Dr. Herman Ponser, P-O-N-T-Z-E-R. His book, Burn, New Research Blows the Lid Off of How We Really Burn Calories, Lose Weight, and Stay Healthy. Um, In reading your book, I came upon quite a number of words that I was surprised I hadn't heard before. One of them, pyruvate.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's an important thing to know about. Um, You know, one of the things I wanted to try to do was demystify metabolism. And to do that... um, so, yeah, I've been teaching this stuff for years. And so I kind of thought, well, how would I, if I, if I were going to sit down and try to walk somebody through this who maybe hasn't, hasn't seen any of this biology since high school or maybe never saw this? All this
0: I don't ever remember hearing the word pyruvate until I looked at your book. Maybe that was just my problem.
1: Well, I, you know, I think that um, it speaks to sort of the way that we gloss over some of its important details in, in education. But. Yeah. Pyruvate, man. You need pyruvate. That's what all your glucose turns into. And by the way, glucose is what all of your carbs and sugars turn into. Um, we, we often make a big distinction in the diet wars as, as people call them between, you know, carbs and sugars. Well, from your body's point of view, um, once they get into your bloodstream, it's all the same thing. Cause what actually gets into your blood from either carbohydrate or from simple sugars is the same small set of simple sugars, glucose being the main one. So when we measure your blood sugar, Right. Uh, we're measuring blood glucose. Glucose goes into the cell um, and gets broken down to the stuff called pyruvate. And that's what goes into the mitochondria of the cell, which is a sort of the power plant of the cell and makes all of the energy just about that we use. Not, not quite all of it, but just the large majority of, of the energy that we use is that, yeah, that pyruvate molecule. If you didn't have that, you'd be in trouble.
0: You now, hunter gatherers like the Hadza uh, walk four to seven miles a day hunt wild game harvest honey dig for tubers pick berries fetch water and firewood are those reasons that they tend to be very healthy into old age
1: yeah so um and here's where i think we need to make a distinction between health and weight so all of that activity absolutely contributes to why the hods are so healthy i mean i can tell you we work you know when we work in these Hadza camps um we see men and women who we know are in their fifties their and sixties, even seventies, sometimes even in, in the eighties. And we measure things like blood pressure and, and blood sugar levels. And we never see anybody hardly, uh, you know, maybe one or two in a hundred that have any kind of, you know, even the inklings of heart disease or diabetes or anything like that.
0: And not so, yeah. go ahead, go ahead.
1: Well, I'm just going to say that, you know, the, the, a big part of that's the activity, but that, Interestingly, the activity doesn't seem to be how they keep trim. That seems to be the diet. Well, don't
0: hunter-gatherers eat a lot of starchy, sugary, (laughs) carbohydrate-rich foods
1: like tubers and and honey? Yeah, that's right. And so that's another fun thing. If you actually go and and live with hunter-gatherers, you get a a different view on what a paleo diet would look Mm. like, right? Um, The the paleo movement these days is often synonymous with a a carnivorous diet. and, you know, and, and, and high meat, you know, low carb diets work for a lot of people. Uh, but the idea that that's what hunter-gatherers do just doesn't really wash. Uh, is the odds that eat something like 10 to 15% of their calories a day on average are, are from honey, which is, that's a lot of honey. <laughs> you ever want to try to sit down and eat that much. Um, starchy tubers, like you say, are a big piece of it. So they're, they're actually quite carb heavy in their diets.
0: Haven't studies of hunter-gatherer tribes revealed that exercise doesn't Increase our metabolism; that we burn nearly three thousand calories per day, no matter our
1: activity level. Yeah, that's right. So that was the the first big study we did with the Hadza, um, with Brian Wood and Dave Reichlin. I went to uh, to Tanzania, and we measured um, nobody had ever measured total energy expenditures. In other words, the, the total number of calories burned every day. No, nobody had ever really measured that with a hunter gatherer group, and so we were keen to do that because um, you know we're we're all anthropologists and Humans evolved as hunter gatherers. So that's a lifestyle that we want to understand. And uh, so we we took this uh, isotopically enriched water with us, this sort of sophisticated way to measure calories in the field. Um, And we used that to measure uh, total energy expenditures for men and women in the Hadza group, um, you know, over about a a seven to 10 day period. And when we got the results back, um, this isotope tracking technique, you have to collect some urine samples and you have to bring them back to the labs in the States and get them analyzed here. So you don't get the, the number in the field right there. You get it after you get back and you get them analyzed. And we've got the numbers back uh, at the end of that first season. I was totally blown away because I was sure. I mean, we we went into this project uh, in 2010. We were so sure we were going to just find sky high energy expenditures with these guys because they're so physically active. Um, But the shock was that, like you say, it's the same. They had the same energy expenditures as folks in the U.S. and Europe, um, despite these really active lifestyles.
0: So they burn nearly 2,500 to 3,000 calories a day, Mm -hmm. no matter uh, their activity level, and and we do as well. Uh, You you say that's an evolutionary
1: strategy to survive in times of famine. Yeah, well, that's right. So if you think about, um, you know, what metabolism is for, right? Metabolism, the reason your body's doing all that work Um, is the same reason that any organism's body does all of its work is that we're evolved to survive and reproduce. And so um, an organism should be uh, very carefully calibrated by evolution to bring in as many calories as it can and burn them off in the service of, uh, in the service of survival and reproduction. And if, if times get tough and you have to work harder for your food well, you, that doesn't, you shouldn't ramp up your energy expenditure at that point because that, that would actually be counterproductive, right? Because now not only is it hard to get food and you're working harder to get it, but now you're spending more calories that day as well. That, that it's, you know, that, that's really tough. It's even tougher. And so instead, it seems the body has figured out a, a trick and not just humans, but other animals too. But uh, when we're more physically active, when we have a more physically active lifestyle, our body says, okay, that, that's fine. We're going to spend a little bit less on other stuff. And we're going to make room for that physical activity and keep our energy requirements the same, um, even if our lifestyle changes.
0: So is uh, taking the stairs or um, going on long hikes
1: simply a a waste of time? I don't think so at all. I mean, again, you know, the exercise that the Hadza do, they wouldn't call it exercise because it's just daily activity. It's daily life for them, but all that physical activity that they get, is is why one of the big reasons they're so healthy, um, and it's healthy in large part because of the way it changes the way you spend your calories, right? So we have to, to change our minds about uh, change our perspectives on why exercise is so good for us. We know that it is. We know exercise is a great for us. We're often told that it's good for us because it raises how many calories we burn every day. That turns out not, not really be true. Um, the bigger impact is that it changes the way we spend our calories. And those are really important effects uh, that have big health effects. We, it'd be fun to talk about those too.
0: So isn't the downside to lack of exercise that it contributes to obesity,
1: or have I got that wrong? I th- you've got it wrong, I'm pretty sure. Uh, hmm. the, uh, you know the, If you look at the public health messaging on obesity, they always blame uh, diet, which I think is is right. And they always blame activity as well, which I think is not right. Um, we've known for a long time that exercise is a bad way to lose weight. It doesn't actually work for that. And we've also known that physical activity doesn't really correlate with how likely you are to gain weight. Um, and so, you know, the, the Hada data really spell out why that's true. That even if you're more physically active, okay, you're not actually, after your body adjusts to that, Um, and if you start a new exercise program, by the way, it might take a couple of weeks or months to adjust, but, but once your body's adjusted to that new active lifestyle, you're not burning any more calories anywhere before. And so the exercise is important, but it hasn't changed how many calories you're burning every day. And so it hasn't changed this energy balance between calories in and calories out, which is what ultimately dictates your weight.
0: But the exercise uh, must do other things. It, uh, it, it. Uh, helps our heart uh, it yeah. uh we, we develop better muscles so oh, yeah, no, so so yeah. the so the so it's just just going into a different uh, uh it's going into a different place in your body it's just yeah, that's right. uh, we're we're avoiding making it into fat we're making it into something else
1: well not so much that either it, yes it's true you'll be, you'll be stronger which is good your heart will, will thank you your your blood vessels will stay elastic Um, It keeps your mind sharp. Exercise actually helps you grow uh, new brain cells, we think, which is kind of amazing. Um, But the metabolic effects uh, that are important are are, are this. So if you exercise more, okay, then your body spends more energy on exercise and less on other stuff. Well, what's the other stuff it's spending less on? Well, things like inflammation, right? Inflammation is is immune system activity that is actually bad for you. It's kind of chronically uh, engaged immune function that shouldn't be on you can turn that down with exercise. Uh stress reactivity. So, you know, if you get uh, uh psychologically or physically stressed, uh your cortisol levels and your adrenaline levels go up, that kind of fight or flight response. Um somebody who exercises more is going to tamp those responses down. You won't you won't be as as responsive. Uh your reproductive hormone levels, things like estrogen and t- testosterone. Um if you look at really active people, those uh, hormones are in a, in a slightly lower and we think healthier range than they are in people who are really sedentary. And so it's the rejuggling of how you spend your calories that makes exercise so good for you, not the addition to the total number of calories you spend every day.
0: So are you arguing that the real reason for exercise
1: is to keep our body systems and signals functioning optimally? Yeah, that's right. It's the sort of regulation of, of how your body works absolutely it's it's the uh it's the rhythm section in your uh body's orchestra of, of metabolism
0: but but you note that elite athletes can sometimes push their bodies too far uh, mm. burning calories faster than their bodies can take them
1: in yeah that's right um so you know this if you take this so, so let's change the way we think about exercise and what it does instead of thinking about exercise as adding to the calories you burn every day Let's start to think about exercise as taking energy away from things like inflammation and things like stress reactivity. So those are, that's, that's a good thing. Those are good reasons to exercise. But by that same logic, if I push it too far, right? If I start to take away, not just the bad things my body needs to do every day, but I start to take away, you know, energy from things that are critical, that are important functionally, then I can, you can see how overtraining, um, too much exercise could actually begin to weaken the body and that's what we see, right? there's this there's this phenomenon called overtraining syndrome. Um, sometimes it's called relative energy deficit or the female triad. And it's um, you know, in female athletes, especially, what we see is uh, w- women stop ovulating, stop cycling. Um, they tend to males and females both tend to you know get a get a cold or get another kind of infection, they can't heal from that, they can't respond with their immune system enough. Um, Little injuries kind of nag and and last and they get fatigued. Um, So these are all signs that you've pushed that trade-off that exercise pushes you into, you've pushed it too far and exercise is actually starting to take away from essential function.
0: So let me see if I understand that. If we burn lots of calories through physical activity, we're burning fewer with other biological systems like reproduction or immune responses?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that sounds bad, <laughs> um, but it's actually not. Here's why it's not. Um, things like inflammation, right, is immune function that's gone too far. That is, is sort of chronically on all the time that you actually want to tamp down. Um, reproductive hormone levels, if they're too high, are actually you know, going to promote the development potentially of reproductive cancers. And we know that exercise is actually protective against reproductive cancers, in part because it keeps those reproductive hormones in check. So, so, you know, know, so you want to have enough exercise that you are, you get the benefits, you you suppress the bad stuff. If you get too much exercise, you start to suppress the stuff you need. And that's when you get into trouble.
0: So uh, you conclude that during evolution, we humans must have developed an innate unconscious ability to reallocate
1: our body's energy usage? Yeah, that's right. And it's not just us. Um, we think this is a, a kind of sophisticated evolutionary trick that a lot of species use. Um, we, we see, you know, for example, we see in mice in the laboratory that if we get them, you know, you look at them when they're not exercising, you don't, you don't have a wheel in their enclosure. And then we put the wheel in their enclosure and they, they run and run and run and run. Total energy expenditure every day doesn't change the way that they're, cha- they're spending the energy changes. If we look at primates in a zoo when they're sedentary versus primates in the wild, when they're really active, they have the same energy expenditures, even though the lifestyle is very different. So we don't think this is just humans. And of course it's not conscious at all. It's all subconscious, but the body is adjusting to lifestyle to kind of make room for that change in activity uh, so that the, the total number of calories every day stays the same. It's like living on a fixed income, right? If you live on a fixed income, and all of a sudden um, I increase the price, the cost of transportation for you, well, you're on a fixed income. What are you gonna do? You're gonna gonna reduce your expenses elsewhere to make ends meet. So
0: this is a a metabolic strategy of storing extra calories as fat, as a kind of a, a rainy day fund for disruptions in energy supply
1: somewhere down the line? Yeah, that's right. If you do manage to get some extra energy in, and of course, in this environment, these days we're very good at that. We have full of foods that, that, that push us to do that. Um, but if you are able to squirrel away some extra calories, uh, fat is this really important way to, to do that. Um, so fat is uh, energy that is stored in your body, calories st- stored in your body without, um, in, in a kind of dry state, without water, right? So you can store Um, as you eat your food in the course of lunch or dinner or whatever, the carbohydrates come into your blood and they get turned into sugars. You can store them as a stuff called glycogen. Well, glycogen is easy to store and easy to spend, um, but it's heavy. And so each glycogen molecule holds a a molecule of water with it. So it's heavy. It's just like water is heavy. Um, If you can convert those carbohydrates into fat, which our body is perfectly happy to do, um, then you store it without water, right? Cause oil and water don't mix. So fats and, and waters don't mix. so it's a, it's a way of storing without water. And so it's a, it's much less, uh, it's much less heavy. You get about twice as much energy per gram um, with fat and there's sort of no limit to how much you can carry. So um it's a really smart idea evolutionarily to store all those extra calories as fat as a rainy day fund, as you say, in case things go bad, you don't get enough food for a while, you can burn that fat back off. Um, but it also, uh, of course, leads us into trouble when we are constantly in environments with extra food. Well,
0: you, you're making me feel a little better about having put on a bit of weight. Uh, you're,
1: we're, you were so glad to do that, Leonard, the way that you've done it. Uh, well done. <laughs>
0: You're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. If I have one
1: more, my Alamode. I'm gonna need my own zip code. When you only have the seconds, i I'm having 23rds. When I go to get my shoe shine, I gotta take their word because.
0: Before I get back to my conversation with Dr. Herman Ponser, I need to take just a few minutes to ask you to consider becoming a member of WBAI. We're asking all of our listeners to step up right now by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 516-620-3602 to help you this show and the station on the air in the wake of this terrible pandemic. Again, that number is 516 620 3602, or you can go online to give to WBAI.org. And one great way to support WBAI throughout the year while spreading out your financial commitment so it's only a small amount taken out of your credit card or bank account each month is to become a sustaining member, what we call a BAI buddy. And I am delighted to announce that anyone who signs up to become a BAI buddy in the name of London Lopin, at Large right now will receive a free copy of the book that we've been discussing on today's show, Burn, New Research Blows the Lid Off, How We Really Burn Calories, Lose Weight, and Stay Healthy by my guest, Dr. Herman Ponser. But no matter what level you're able to show your support for this show and this historic station, it all helps. The important thing is to take that step right now to keep the show coming to you and all your fellow listeners by calling 516-620-3602 or by going online to give to WBAI.org. Remember that WBAI is the only station on the New York radio dial that doesn't take grants or corporate sponsorship of any kind. We don't have those hidden commercials that you hear elsewhere that are called funding credits. We rely totally on our listeners to keep us going. It, it may be a crazy model in some ways, but I have to say it's great only to have to answer to to my listeners who've been the best bosses I've ever had. So don't forget to make that tax deductible contribution in the name of Leonard Thorpe at Large. From all of us at the station, thank you so much. And uh, we return now to my guest, Dr. Herman Ponser. We're talking about his book, "Burn: New Research Blows the Lid Off of How Off How We Really Burn Calories, Lose Weight, and Stay Healthy," is from Avery. Uh, Dr. Ponzer is an associate professor of evolutionary anthropology at Duke University, associate research professor of global health at the Duke Global Health Institute, and um, done a lot of. You've done a lot of research in the field, but also in the lab.
1: Yeah, that's right. We uh, try to to bridge those two ideas, uh, bridge those two realms. Um, You know, the lab, of course, you can do all kinds of nicely controlled experiments. But then, you know, you you get to see how well that really works when you get out into the real world and test things in the field.
0: A major concern these days is childhood obesity. Mm. Isn't increasing Mm -hmm. childhood inactivity and junk food diets, uh, aren't they a major cause of youthful weight gain?
1: Well, so what you've just said there, you know, is, is half right. And, um, and it's the juicy the case. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we always told that, that obesity is, is a function of diet and activity. You know, we're not, we're eating the wrong foods and we're not exercising enough. And the reason I think that's not really helpful is this, uh, we've known for a long time. And, and I cover this in my book too, but even just outside my own research, We've known for a long time that obesity is really a diet issue. Um, And so we can place, you know, 90%, maybe 100% uh, effectively of of the blame for obesity in in our society on diet and the the kind of foods we surround ourselves with. Now, kids should also get active and kids should also exercise. And that's really important for their health for all kinds of reasons. But in particular, if we're talking about obesity, it's really a diet issue. But
0: you urge us to avoid any of the diets that target one specific nutrient (laughs) as being very good or very bad for us. How successful are the weight loss diets like paleo You kind of dismissed it earlier, keto, anti-gluten, anti-grain, vegan, (laughs) raw food diets.
1: How helpful are they in helping us lose weight? Well, I, I think they might be, you know, helpful for some people and you can, you should shop around. What I think is, some people
0: ways. are allergic to, to things like gluten. So there's a good right. reason for them to be gluten free, but not
1: the rest of us. Well, I, I, yeah, I think if you don't have any issues with gluten, I think, um, you know, it's just fine for you uh, the what bothers me about the way we talk about diet these days is it's become so tribal, you know, so if you're if you don't think that if you don't want to eat carbs and that's worked for you is to keep carbs out of your diet, then, you know, the next thing you do is you go on Twitter and you yell at everybody who eats carbs. And if you want to be a plant-based and not eat any animals, and that's really worked for you for your health and your weight. Well, then the next thing you do is you go on Instagram and you yell at everybody who eats meat, mm-hmm. um, and everything else in between, you know, so that it's become this really kind of tribal thing. And, uh, hopefully you know, that, that only reflects the loudest voices and not most of the voices, but those are the voices that we hear when we are pay attention to, to, to what's going on in diet. Um, all diets work or fail by the same principle, uh, which is how well they, they help you manage your calories. It really comes down to that. And everything else is, is marketing. Um, some people, they feel full. You know, protein is, is their big signal. And if they eat enough protein, which you can get with meat very easily, um, they eat fewer calories because they, they cut carbs out, right? They cut a whole area of a whole group of food out of their diets. Other folks, you know, fiber really works for them. And so they eat a really plant-based diet, lots of vegetables, feel full on fewer calories, and and that's great for them. But really, finding the diet that works for you is is what you need to do, and not worry about all the the shouting <laughs> throughout the, the diet ecosystem.
0: What about mixing them all? Uh, having a salad with your meat, for example.
1: Yeah, why not? I mean, that works for me. I know I I don't ascribe to any particular diet, um, and I've been you know I, I've been happy with how I've been able to manage my weight. Um, I think the principles that you want to stick to uh, the best principles we know from the science right now is that if you can eat a lot of protein uh, and, or eat a lot of fiber, that'll help you feel full on fewer calories. There's a lot of different foods that you can get, that'll get you there. Um, And the other thing is avoid ultra processed foods. So things Mm -hmm. that come, you know, ready to eat out of the package or, or the snack aisle, you know, all the things that are engineered, Uh, to be over-consumed, those ultra-processed foods get you into trouble. So you do those three things. Look for protein, look for fiber, avoid ultra-processed foods. Um, Most people are going to get a lot further following those principles rather than listening to any particular diet uh, tribe. Can I say that? Can I coin that phrase?
0: Sure. So so you're warning us against – about. Flavor engineering by junk food chemists who you say use, quote, a mind-boggling array of techniques and additives to make food that's highly palatable without being satiating.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, so, you know, one of the fun things that's come out of, of work in, in diet the last 10 years, and this isn't work that my lab focuses on, but it's, I find it fascinating, um, is if you look at the ge- genetics underlying obesity so it turns out It you know if you it tends to run in families obesity and the reason it does is that there are some genes in fact there's hundreds of genes that if you have one variant versus another um that makes you more or less likely to to gain weight it's Um, not
0: because you grow up eating certain kinds of foods as a a family
1: well so they're, they're able to pull those things apart they're able to pull the sort of common environment versus common genetics apart in these really big samples you need like hundreds of thousands of people to do this but yeah, that's right. I mean, surely uh, it'll run in families for that reason too, that, you know, that mom cooks the same dinner for everybody and so, or, or dad does. And, and so we end up with, um, you know, similar food environments in our homes, but, you know, there's also a genetic component and those genes are active uh, where they're active in your brain, right? So all, basically all the genes that we, that affect your likelihood of becoming obese or overweight are active in your brain. Now, why is that? Well, because the the brain, you know, especially the hypothalamus, but it's actually a, a distributed system, but the hypothalamus is at the sort of the seat of of government there, um, mm-hmm. it's controlling uh, how full you feel and how hungry you feel. And depending on how a particular foods light up your particular brain, Leonard, or mine, um, that'll determine how likely you are to get pushed back into the fridge and have more. And so you know that's that's why some people are able to resist these foods more than others. It, it's not willpower; it's it's wiring.
0: Homo sapien bodies have been shaped by uh, the hunter-gatherer lifestyle. So, are they not adapted to spending hours sitting in in a car or at a desk and and eating takeout <laughs> foods?
1: Yeah, we just really aren't. You know, our brains are still. Uh, wired for paleolithic, um, foods, or maybe even farmed foods. That's fine. But, but they certainly aren't, um, they're not wired for, <laughs> for Domino's pizza and hot pockets and, you know, pasta in a pouch. I mean, we just aren't ready for that. Uh, and so it's it just, those are killers. Um, and we're also not built to be sitting all the time. You know, like you said at the beginning of the program, hunter gatherers are really physically active. Um, the, the Hadza, who we work with, you know, we've measured this. They get more physical activity in a day than most Americans get in a week. Um, and that's been the norm, you know, that's been the norm forever. So uh, it's only really, really recently and, and too recently for our bodies to have adjusted um, that we've been able to, to sort of live our lives on our, our backsides just sitting down.
0: Mm. Well, when it snows, as it has recently where I live, uh, whether I like it or not, I have to go out and do some shoveling. So mm-hmm. uh, I guess uh, I've saved up some calories uh, to be able to do that. My guest on Leonard Lopate at Large today is Dr. Herman Ponzer, P-O-N-T-Z-E-R. His book, Burn, New Research Blows the Lid Off of How We Really Burn Calories, Lose Weight, and Stay Healthy, published by Avery. Um, the, the, that subtitle suggests that, We've gotten it all wrong until recently. Are you um, suggesting that um, despite all of the thinking about what's good food and what's bad food and what's a good lifestyle and what's a bad lifestyle, that we are only just recently learning the, 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 the truth about the matter?
1: I think so. I, I think that uh, people, first of all, they misunderstand how energy gets burned off because we think it's all about exercise and it, that's not really the case um, exercise has a really small effect on, on how many calories you burn every day because for the most part your body adjusts to your new exercise program and keeps total energy burned every day in check um, and i think we also are learning more recently about the energy that we bring in in terms of our food the calories we eat and how that affects our bodies um, you know there was uh, a lot of concern a few decades ago about people eating too much fat that turned into, people said, okay, well, you know, food companies said, well, we'll get the, 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 uh, the fat out of your foods. And they replaced it with sugar. And that didn't help at all. Um, and now people say, well, we shouldn't eat any sugar. We go back to fat. And really that's missing the point that when we process our foods and we eat these sort of industrialized diets, whether it's fat or sugar or anything else, when we start really manipulating these foods, we just make them very hard to resist and so um, i think we can kind of get back to basics a little bit and say guys this is about overconsumption of calories eating too many calories and it's not that any one particular nutrient is good or bad it's that the way that we put them together in these industrialized foods that's what gets us
0: the world is is populated by a wide range of different cultures with vastly different lifestyles do they all equal out at the end does it matter whether uh, we are grow up in China or India or Africa or or Argentina or the the American South or the American North.
1: Well, yeah, it does. But whether we eat are... a lot
0: of rice or a lot of bread.
1: Yeah, it does. Um, it So but, but maybe not the way we think. Right. So, uh, for example, growing up in the States, um, the last few decades, we've been told that, you know, it's the carbohydrate in our diet. That's, that's making us sick. Um, and you know, that's, that's the problem. If you look at a place like China, however, as they've developed and China is now went from a, a very healthy population to one that has increasingly big problems with diabetes, uh, heart disease. And you look at what the, how the diet has changed in China, they've actually gone more towards protein and fat, fat, particularly. Why is that? Well, because as they've gotten you know, more wealthy and been able to afford these yummy processed foods. Um, They've gotten away from a sort of a rice based diet where rice is the staple and a a carb heavy diet towards these processed foods. Well, if you just focus on the carb on the nutrient, right. On the carbohydrate aspect of it, you think, well, what's going on. But if you look at the fact that they're going from kind of whole foods to ultra processed foods, it makes sense. Now, when we look at like within the United States where you grow up, absolutely matters because when you grow up in, um, a disadvantaged community, uh, communities of color, right? The foods available to them that are cheapest and most affordable for them are often the poor quality processed foods. And of course, of course, that affects the way that they uh, grow up and, and the, the you know health, health they're likely to have. So with civilization,
0: whether you're rich or you're poor, you're getting away from the hunter gatherer diet.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's nobody in the industrialized world who is 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 sort of getting back towards you know closer to the hunter gatherer diet. I don't think we've just been continually drifting away, and you know in in an accelerated way uh, since industrialization. Um, Yeah, I think we need to get back to to first principles about um, what kind of foods we need to eat if we want to try to recapture some of the health that they take for granted.
0: A listener writes in. Uh does a soft drink with zero calories actually help you lose weight?
1: Ah, that's a big question. And it's hard the, the the kinds of studies you'd like to see on that haven't been done yet. But um it doesn't seem to. If we look at uh the zero calorie consumption piece of this, um you know people who who have more of that in their diet, it doesn't actually seem to work. And there's some indication that the artificial sweeteners used to replace the sugars have some of the same effects on the way our cells work, same bad effects as sugars can. And so, um, yeah, so I, I don't think that those are going to be the answer.
0: Can you explain something you wrote? He uh, wrote every each ounce of living human tissue burns 10,000 times more energy each day than an ounce of the sun.
1: Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that, that is absolutely true. Um, the uh, of We're course competing with the sun, with the sun now. Yeah, well, you know, the, the sun produces a lot of energy <laughs> uh, and literally all the energy in the solar system it comes from the sun. Um, and uh, the you would think then and of course, the sun is massive. And so, you know, it creates millions of times more energy than, than our bodies burn. Um, but if you do the math and you divide how much the sun weighs by how much energy it produces, it turns out shockingly so that we actually produce more energy pound for pound than the sun does. Isn't that crazy?
0: Is is there still a big debate within the uh, scientific community over all of this? In their 2009 book, The 10,000-Year Explosion, How Civilization Accelerated Human Evolution, Gregory Cochran and uh, Henry Harpending calculate that rather than there having been no biological change in humans over the past 50,000 years, human evolution has accelerated in the past 10,000 years. Are they arguing something very different than you than you are?
1: No, I don't think so. So that book, they're arguing a very particular view of human evolution. um, And one that I would say has very little support outside of a handful of people who 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 desperately want uh, groups around the world to be to be different. Um, They want to Mm -hmm. emphasize the differences among groups. In fact, um, if you look at any by any genetic measure, humans are incredibly homogenous genetically across the globe. And so, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons that working with a group like the Hadza or the groups we work with in South America or anywhere around the globe is, is so useful for all of us is because, you know, humans are so genetically homogenous uh, that, you know, the, we can look at a group like the Hadza and say, this is what it would be like if I grew up like a hunter gatherer. They, they, their experience would be my experience in terms of, of the biology.
0: Are they um, more vulnerable to uh, other uh, other problems? For example, we recently did a show on the Amazon mm-hmm. and um, the hunter gatherer groups are now suffering from all sorts of diseases that were brought in from the outside.
1: Yeah. Well, that's true. That's right. And so, um, you know, in the history of conquest of, the, of North America and South America was, you know, bringing diseases in with the Europeans. Smallpox. So, uh smallpox is a classic one then now they had diseases too that that we didn't have um I believe syphilis for example is a new world disease I might have that wrong but there are examples of that where I, like thought, there were diseases I thought we that got that from them.
0: from apes but uh I don't yeah.
1: know yeah anyway, anyway uh, so it does yeah. but the point you know, I take your point um yeah well we've
0: run out of time unfortunately but it's <laughs> been a lot of fun talking with you and, yeah thanks uh, fun I've been speaking with Herman Ponzer, P-O-N-T-Z-E-R. His book, Burn, New Research Blows the Lid Off of How We Really Burn Calories, Lose Weight, and Stay Healthy. It's published by Avery. Thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun.
0: And that brings us to the end of our show today. Special thanks to our live engineer, Reggie Johnson, and my executive producer, Jesse Lent, for all of their invaluable work throughout the week. If you're just discovering this program and would like to hear more of our one-hour deep dive interviews, you can access past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org, and we're also available as a podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. And and there are links to all of our past shows on our website, LeonardLopateAtLarge.com. If you'd like to comment on a show or just want to say hello, my email address is LeonardLopate at WBAI.org. As I mentioned earlier, the the pandemic has dealt a terrible financial blow to WBAI. So if you value the kind of informative one-hour deep dives into a subject that we bring you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m., please go online right now to give to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602 to help keep this community radio station alive. We depend 100 percent on the support of our listeners. Uh, we don't take grants, we don't take ads. Just go, ask you to, to come through for us. And, and one great way to support WBAI without having to lay out a lot of money at one time is to become a BAI buddy. And uh, their listeners who contribute $10 or more each month uh, to keep us running and to show their support for what we do on this show. And as I mentioned at the half, anyone who becomes a BAI buddy in the name of Leonard Lopate at Large during today's show will receive a free copy of the book we've been discussing, Burn, New Research Blows the Lid Off of How We Really Burn Calories, Lose Weight, and Stay Healthy by my guest, Dr. Herman Ponser. Uh And uh, I remind you, whatever level you're comfortable donating it, the important thing is that you step up and show your support for London, the at Lodge and the station that brings it to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. So why not make that call right now? 516-620-3602 or go to give2wbai.org and sign up to become a BAI buddy. And we hope you'll join us again on Monday when our guests will be our favorite sibling language experts, Catherine and Ross Petrus. Don't forget to set your clocks back an hour on Sunday
1: for Daylight Savings Time.